This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Dave and this is my wife, Kathy. Hello. And you're listening to The Cinemile, the show where we record our walk home from the movies. But today... The movies has come to our home. <laughs> to Netflix. Because thanks to the advent uh, of streaming services paying for very high profile movies from the likes of Martin Scorsese and now the Coen brothers. Uh, why am I talking like some well, sort I don't of infomercial? Know. Are you being paid by Netflix? <laughs> Basically, you're watching The Ballad why? of Buster Scruggs. Why did I say the word advent? I have no idea. <laughs> Um, but we're really excited because we just found out this was on Netflix yesterday and I think it just came out yesterday and we love the Coen brothers so this is awesome yeah and we don't know anything about this which I knew this was uh, coming out on on Netflix um, but I deliberately avoided every detail including a synopsis so I really have no idea and who's guys, in this this is dedication because Dave actually took a picture of the synopsis to put on her Instagram. And I didn't, and didn't even look, look at it. I didn't and look I looked at the away. Synopsis. So I st- we still don't know what this movie is about. <laughs> we don't know. Because I think that is the optimal way to view any movie, particularly one that you know you're going to watch anyway. And the draw of this is the, the Coen brothers. Yeah, they were all I care um, about. What's your favourite Coen brothers movie? The Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. It's a very typical answer. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just saying. Oh, so typical. I'm just saying everyone says The Big Lebowski. Oh, so I'm just following the, the, the crowd. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Am I not allowed to have a personal opinion on something? No, you are. What's your <laughs> favourite? What's so your favourite? <laughs> I'm actually, I like The Big Lebowski too. My oh favorite, my God, it's such an obvious answer. My favourite is Inside Lewin Davis for multiple reasons. Mainly for Oscar Isaac singing. I wonder though... Um, Okay, here's the thing, because mm-hmm. the set, like the soundtrack to that movie is outstanding. It's the soundtrack to my life. I listen to the soundtrack to Inside Lou and Davis at least twice a week, and have done since it came out, which was like three or four years ago now. More even, we saw it when we lived in Sydney. Like genuinely, one of my favorite songs is "Hang Me" <laughs> from that movie, and I sing it all the time. Like if I'm in a bad mood, I listen to "Hang Me." If I'm in a good mood, I listen to "Hang Me." <laughs> I hope someone doesn't take you off on, on, on the advice. Um, it's so amazing. I wonder though with that movie that because it's not it's I think it's a I really thought it was a great movie personally and thought the soundtrack was amazing and Oscar Isaac was excellent but I have no desire to rewatch it. I rewatched I mean? it, yeah. I re- yeah, I rewatched it on the plane. Um, it didn't have the same. I think seeing it when we saw it was a magical experience, and I'm not one for rewatching movies anyway. I just it was the most into one of the movies I've been but I mean I really I mean I like them all to be honest um, it's quite it's quite a, a grim it's kind grim, of movie yeah. like remember when we saw Burn After Reading that was so funny 
Yeah. Yeah. But so I've also no desire to watch that again either. No. Funnily I enough. Wouldn't I wouldn't revisit a lot of them. Um Alright, so what do you think? The Coen brothers tend to do uh either sort of farcical comedies or serious sort of crime uh dramas almost. And sometimes those two overlap a little bit. But I'm judging the fact that this is called the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I'm hoping it's in the in inside like Lou Davis. I'm hoping it's more inside Lou Davis. No, I think it's going to be an out and out farce comedy. Oh, I'm hoping I it's think... a a farce comedy, but b it has the music of inside Lou Davis. And I'm hoping it's better than the the last one that we watched of theirs, which I'm blanking on the name of. Um, wow, we... this is great. No, come on! I know we're a movie podcast. We should know this. Yeah. The the one where George Clooney was an actor and it was all set in Hollywood. And oh, Jack Hail Roland. Caesar! Hail Caesar! Yeah, yeah. that was a disappointment. Um, yeah, it was quite disappointing. It just felt like a series of um, sketches, some of which were very good. Yeah. But it didn't really gel together as a movie at all. It was just more like a love letter to that period. Yeah. Um. But look, my main issue with this is I have seen that James Franco's in it, and I'm not a fan at all. I I find it actively a turn off to see him in a movie. So. Funnily enough, this is going to be our second movie this week with James Franco because we watched The Disaster Artist this day because we'd never seen it. Quite an easy watch. Easy watch, grand, didn't deserve all the praise it I got. Agree. I agree. Yeah. That was a quite um, it's fine. a bit overrated. Yeah, uh, But now I can't believe we're watching him twice in a week because I find him really gross. So anyway, I'm hoping he's not in it too much. And um, that's all I have to say on it really because I find him off-putting. And um, because we're at home, we've made our patent, my patented popcorn combo. Yeah, if you popcorn. want to, if you want to see what that looks like, head to our Instagram story. <laughs> I mean, it just looks like popcorn. Alive. But basically, <laughs> yeah, if you don't know what popcorn looks I like, I do coconut oil, uh, popcorn kernels, and then at the end I put Himalayan rock salt. But tonight I did the coconut oil, and the popcorn was all popped and hot and ready for the salt. And then I realized the salt was empty. I cannot remember the last time a thing of salt was empty. Oh, that never happens. So then I got desperate and I melted loads of salted butter and poured it on top, and now it's really sickening. But I'm still going to eat it all. But I just I wouldn't advise what I did. I think it was a, ba- a Why bad. Why did you move. think it was a good idea to tell this story? I just thought people were interested. Last last time we spoke <laughs> about popcorn, people like <laughs> loads of people messaged me saying that sounds really nice. Oh, I'm going to tell the the one about when the salt ran out. Yeah. On the anyway, podcast. right. We need to go and all watch right, the ballad of Buster Scruggs because whatever it's what's it called? I can't read the, the writing. Scruggs. The, the ballad of Buster Scruggs. Buster the ballad of Buster Scruggs. The title art's like in italics, and also right. it looks like it's really long, so we need to go. We will see you in exactly two hours, thirteen uh, minutes, and sixteen seconds. Bye. Well, not for you people. You don't. You can just listen to a little bit of the trailer, and then we'll be back. <laughs> That's the magic of podcasts. Goodbye. People are so easily distracted. So I'm the distractor with a little story. People can't get enough of them. Because, well, they connect the stories to themselves, I suppose. And we all love hearing about ourselves. So long as the people in the stories are us. But not us. This'll tell the tale. Right, so a, a little bit more time than two hours and 16 minutes has passed. Because uh, it was, it ended up being quite late by the time we'd finished that, so we were a bit tired. So it's, it's now tomorrow, <laughs> uh, or or today. Today, it's today for us, but it's tomorrow for you. Or actually, by the time you've heard this, it's yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. So everyone, See? everyone up to speed. Up to speed. And because what it what it transpires, the movie is, which I hadn't known, is um, it's actually like six short films, 
So the nature of that meant that kind of when one ended, we'd pause it and like get a snack or in my case, throw away the popcorn because it was so rank and inedible. Um, that sort of thing. <laughs> that sort of thing. So we've spent way longer than the duration uh, watching it. But yeah, overall. Well, here, here's what we're going to do. We're sorry, we're yeah. going to talk about our overall thoughts. Then, which we're, I was just saying. Yeah, but I'm just going to lay it lay it out yeah, for the people, right? Then just we're going to make gonna, sure that you mansplain it for everyone. I'm, going, I'm not mansplaining to them. Am You're I? mansplaining. You literally took over from what I was saying to say the same thing I was going to say. No, but you we just got to say that we're going to talk our general thoughts, which yeah. we're about to do. But which then, which I was just about you, to listen, do. Listen, let me talk, let me do this. I'm taking. Over, I'm hosting this thing right now, right? <laughs> I'm um, sorry, continue to mansplain. So, I'm not... This isn't mansplaining. It is. It's the this definition is, of mansplaining. All you were about to do was talk about your general thoughts of the movie so then people wouldn't know that we were then... T- we weren't going to talk about the specific plot details of any of the six anthology series, which you will hear in Spoiler Street and we'll go through one by one. And that's what you're going to get here, all right? Okay. That's not mansplaining. It is mansplaining. That's, that's, that's hosting... That's presenting the format of, of this episode. But I was just about to say all that when you cut me off. No, you weren't. I you was. were just about to talk about what you thought about the I movie. I was about to say it. So, Cathy, what do you think of the movie? <laughs> movies. Um, ah, it's one movie, isn't it? Well, is it six movies? Actually, it's I wouldn't movie. use the word movie. I'd probably say a series of short films. Just grouped okay. together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I had two feelings about it. It was funny. One was that I'm really glad this is released on Netflix because we haven't been able to get to the cinema in a while. We just haven't worked out childcare logistics and there's loads of movies we want to see that we've not seen yet big one for me being widows so when this popped up on netflix we were so happy because we got to watch it at home the downside is i really wish i'd seen it in the cinema because cinematically it was gorgeous and we kept saying oh it looks so nice it'd be lovely to see this in the cinema so it's a funny it's a funny thing actually um and it's the first netflix movie that i've seen that I really think is really good. Now, obviously, Netflix, I mean, had nothing to do with the production, I'm presuming, and just picked up the rights. They're the distributors. Yeah. Um, Annapurna Productions, I think, made. So, they, you know, Netflix didn't commission it or anything, but it's the first Netflix <coughs> release movie that I thought was really good and actually made me think, wow, that's a really good thing that we have a Netflix subscription. Whereas the other one's like, meh, whatever. Um, so, yeah, it was a funny one. And then, as the... We're going to go to Sporting Street to talk specifics, but kind of the... The layout of it is that they start off quite short and by the end they're quite long. So overall there was some I enjoyed more than others. I think we can we won't do an overview of them all, but I did say that James Franco was in it, which I personally find a turn off. Luckily he was in one of the shorter ones and he actually wasn't very visible, but I think they had just maybe used him in some of the imagery I'd seen or something, so I thought he was gonna be more prominent than he was. Well he sort of we watched the trailers afterwards, he's kind of front billing yeah. he's the top billing for this thing it's an unusual thing that they've done that um, because I know he's been involved like embroiled in the Me Too scandal and for example I know when they did publicity for The Juice season 2 David Simon show they kept him out of the publicity albeit he's in the show um, so I'm surprised to see him at the front of the campaign in this but maybe that's a Netflix drive and that they know that would grab people and make them watch because other, other than that you know the trailer is a bit out there because we watched it afterwards and and if it didn't say Coen Brothers on it, and if James Franco wasn't in it, maybe it's not one that people would have cared to watch. I don't know. Um, well, actually, that sorry, quick, uh, quick side. No, I think that's an interesting question: whether or not this would have actually performed at the box office, because I think westerns uh, in the modern age notoriously haven't performed well. 
So yeah. probably Netflix probably was the best home for it from the financial terms. Yeah, uh, I sorry. Anyway, carry on. I remember the um, Hail Caesar not doing that well for them. <coughs> And it's funny watching this because it is the Western thing and it like it did evoke other movies of theirs like True Grit, which I was a huge fan of, and um Oh Brother Arthur, which I love. No country for old men. No country for old men. So this is like a playground they play very well in. Um and it's interesting because I know you'll talk more about it, but everyone's obsessed with Red Dead Redemption at the moment and obviously with Westworld and it feels like the right platform to watch it alright um to be watching it at home. But yeah, so I enjoyed some movies more than others. I didn't enjoy that for the first four um there were no females in there at all which really annoyed me really annoyed me and there was no one forgive me if i don't I'm think wrong, women existed in the world West, there's no they? one who wasn't white so i'm disappointed to see a movie where everyone's white and four out of the six stories don't even have women in them but so i really enjoyed the tom waits one probably my favorite i also really liked the tom waits one and i really liked the woman with uh oh i've forgotten her name is it emily zoe gordon kazan. zoe kazan why am i thinking emily gordon because emily gordon is the name of the uh, camille nangiendi's wife oh who she plays <laughs> um in the big sick which i love oh sorry am i mansplaining you right now no no that's not that's question. helpful um so yeah they were my three favorites and we'll speak to the rest on spoiler street david what did you think Oh, I'm David now, isn't it? <laughs> you are David. Oh, so, so you add in an extra syllable when I've been mansplaining <laughs> yeah, you do. too much. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was magnificent. I thought it was, looked uh, incredible. Um, I thought there was a real variety on show here. We talked earlier about how the Coens kind of play... Uh, they tend to play in comedy or drama and the two don't really overlap too much but I thought there was a sort of a nice blend of the two here some stories were certainly much more comedic than others but they were all <coughs> very enjoyable um, hey, sorry, for the sorry that's the sound of rustling autumn leaves at a buggy for anyone who's wondering yeah lovely and crisp um, and I think the Coen brothers are so interesting because they have such uh, all their their films are so diverse and when you different. say diverse what do you mean the, the 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 topics and the genres they play in they're, they're so varied they, mm-hmm. they're sort of they're they're all their all their movies when you look back on them but there's something that makes them uh consistently like it, it recognizably coen brothers and i yeah. guess that's what defines an auteur so yeah. or, or auteurs auteur. so to speak yeah they're very but, distinctive i think but it's also hard to define what exactly that is it's a sort of a it's a sort of an eccentricity almost isn't it like they're they have a great way with dialogue yeah. which i love they're um, really out there they really are out there and some of the some of the stuff in here is really weird and out there um so i i thought it was great and, and i think in particular they're um the director of uh, cinematography here, or for director of photography, or whatever that title. You're right. Turn your hand. Fine. Go. <clears throat> What's uh, the the cinematography in this movie was just outstanding, and I assumed it was Roger Deakins who they worked with a lot, but it wasn't. It was a. Uh, uh, What's this his is name? Fantastic audio. Thanks, Dave. 
woman explain you a bit on um, getting your facts checked before we start recording. Bruno Del Bonnell, he's French. Uh, he did Inside Lou and Davis <gasps> for them. Um, and, Not surprised and many I others. enjoyed it so much then. But there's just like, I kept having to pause this movie to take photos of the screen. At which I said, please stop. Which what are you planning on doing with these photos? And he said, nothing. So I was like, then stop. They're this just is, so beautiful. This is why Google Image wanna, exists. I just want to look at them again. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, admittedly, that's a very frustrating and annoying thing to, to do. So We were pausing it enough for snacks. But my God, there's just like so many uh, frames from this movie you could you could just frame and stick on the wall. It was just st- absolutely stunning. And the other star of this movie, I think, was the, the whoever the location scout or scouts are because some of the places in this, particularly in the Tom Waits story, and I, I don't even want to find out if any of this wasn't real because... It looked real, didn't it? it they looked real. Yeah. It looked very uh, tactile. I hope they were real um, locations. It, it just looked, looked expensive. stunning. Yeah. It did, yeah, it did look expensive. Like, there's a um, movie that has, like, loads and loads of carts and they're, like, a big kind of wagon of carts and, like, it, it looked real. Like, that looked like they actually had all of that going on and in that setting, didn't it? Yeah, very much so. Um... And I think as a, um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, which I'm sort of steeped in at the moment and I'm loving. And um, so I'm, I'm very much like in the mode of the of Westerns right now. And I think as a as a Western, it sort of played well with a lot of the the tropes while sort of bringing something sort of interesting spins um, on a lot of uh, a lot of scenarios. Um, and... It was entertaining. It was funny. It was really funny. Um, it was quite tragic in places. So I thought, yeah, it was overall, it was quite a success. Yeah, it was a success. And I, thought was, I thought it was very, very good. And it sorry hung together a lot better than Hail Caesar did, for instance, which also felt like a load of disparate stories, but that they tried to make one movie out yeah. of it. So this this almost worked. This was better. Better by isolating all of them and making them totally. Set. There's no. There's. I mean, there's really no through line. They're very, they're very much six short stories, um, in and of themselves. The only through line is that they're set on the west. Um, but yeah, and look before we get to spoiler street, like I and I really did enjoy it, and I remain a fan of the Coen Brothers. But it's just a shame that like okay, in in this day and age and in this current climate, and look, I don't know when they shot it, but honestly, to to have James Franco in your movie, um, to have as I said, next to no women. And to have every single person in the movie white, it just feels like it's weird. It's weird, right? Let's admit it. We're fans of them, but that's weird. Um, and I don't get it. And and it's a shame for me. I don't. I don't know why they would have done that. Um, and yeah. So I was. I was. I was disappointed from that sense. So that's what I have to say. But I think we should get to spoilers right now because ultimately, I really recommend it. And actually, I recommend it the way I love particularly I really enjoy reading short stories because often you just don't have the attention span to like engage with something really long so in the evenings like you can read a short story before you go to bed like currently Dave I'm reading the ones Dave bought me which are the ones Tom Hanks wrote which are kind of a bit hit and miss but relatively enjoyable but this is you know you could pick it up and watch one pause it then you could watch the next another night pause it you don't have to watch it at all as a movie um, and I think that makes it sit well within Netflix they almost could have released it as like six episodes except that there would have been quite like disproportionate lengths of one <laughs> there, there was the rumours of it being a, a TV series at one stage yeah so that would have been cool as well but anyway I think we're turning on to Spoiler Street let's turn on to Spoiler Street now and we'll go through these stories yes. uh, one by one so the first one is the the eponymous ballad of Buster Scruggs 
yeah. which I thought would t- I thought he was going to be the narrator almost like why call the movie that and then just have one story about him I think that's just like you know the way a collection of short stories would do the same thing where you just have like one of the yeah like oh, okay. the birds that collection um, oh, that right, I just read right, recently right. like obviously there's only one story called the birds and that so what did you think of this one this is, re- this is really odd it's really odd and again because it was the first one and he was like the title character I was I was a bit confused by it and I think I might have enjoyed it more if it had maybe been at the end because then I would have been in the swing of the flow but because I didn't even know it was a series of shorts I was a little bit confused by what was going on with him and I kept thinking oh was he an older James Franco like I didn't know what was going on um, but I mean I enjoyed it like I honestly I enjoy stuff set in that kind of western setting and it was like quite outlandish and silly well, it and was the music was fun yeah. oh, the, the songs were great yeah. isn't it? Um, well, I enjoyed it but I don't I would never care to see it again and like I've practically forgotten it already we're trying to figure it out so it's, I think it's Tim Blake Nelson who's uh, the, has been in a lot of their stuff was in Oh Brother Where Art Thou um, one of the core trio and he so he plays this sort of uh, he's almost like a cartoon cowboy yeah. like he's literally out of a cartoon in his uh in his well in his antics I mean the, the bit the bit where he makes someone shoot themselves in the face by hitting a loose uh, board on a table was we had to rewind it absolutely hilarious because yeah, I didn't get it but like that's straight that's straight out of like Wile E. Coyote or something so it, it was almost like everybody else in this world wasn't in a cartoon he's this cartoon cowboy that seemed out of place in that he's um you know, almost, he's this like all singing, all dancing, all shooting cowboy. That but it was kind of implied that he like because because each book is taken from a short story. Each story is taken from a, bu- a book, and each one's a short story. And I loved how they illustrated that with the actual physical book. Oh, and I which guess I want to own. The implication for him was that his legend has been bigged up for this book. I think. So what we're seeing is an exaggerated version of the story for the sake of the book. I think that's kind of what they were doing. Right. Um, because, of course, his, like at the end, they spoke about his legend and how the guy who killed him would carry it on and stuff. So I think it was just that really exaggerated. Um, yeah, I think that's what it was. I mean, I liked it. And like the end was really weird. So I thought it was funny there's when some, he died. There's some amazing uh, stuff in this. The um, two, two shots in particular stood out to me. There's an amazing shot from inside his guitar and they edited the audio so it sounded uh, echoey. Yeah, and you could see his, the fingers strumming on the strings. That was cool. Which I've never seen before and was great. Yeah. And uh, the other one was when uh, Buster Scruggs himself gets shot in the head and the slow reveal of that, oh, that as, was awesome. as the hat t- uh, tilts down from his point of view I thought was just yeah. incredibly done. There are so many visuals throughout this movie that are just outstanding and will stay with me. And some of the, some of the writing was particularly funny here. Um, I loved all the stuff with the the him floating up to heaven it was just mad. That got a bit weird. I mean, I laughed, and then I was like, okay, I'm done with this. But again, that's again that's literally out of a cartoon. That image of um, you know somebody's spirit floating up with wings and, and a harp. That's yeah. That's old animated uh, sort of. Um, it was like angels at the gates of heaven stuff. kind of thing. But yeah, so that and that was the shortest one, so we need to click along now. What was the next one? <laughs> the second one was James Franco as oh, the yeah. sort of uh, you know he, he there wasn't much to his character. He was just sort of the typical cowboy, yeah. which is why I was trying to say earlier. I think a lot of this is dealing with Western archetypes, like he like, um, and I, I look I, honestly, I'm not uh, completely au fait with uh, sort of the 50s and westerns of the 50s and 60s at his heyday but a lot of like Buster Scruggs felt like he was from a 
a sort of Saturday serial uh, TV western oh, yeah, sure. from America, so that felt like it was a play on that. Which, I, I, um, and I think this guy feels very much. You even referenced Clint Eastwood at one point. He feels like that man with no yeah. name type. I really walking liked into this a one. bank in the middle of nowhere as we talk about as I'm thinking about this one I really liked this one and to his credit I thought like I thought James Franco was good in it albeit I would have preferred if he wasn't in it um, he's got the right look for a he just classic feels, cowboy he, like he was he was good but like <coughs> for such a short movie I don't know why they bothered putting him in it to be honest but I know I really enjoyed this plot and I thought the end was really funny like this was like classic <laughs> well, Brothers dark humour like it was funny <laughs> yeah. wasn't it it was uh, uh, it really the whole thing was just like a- to be on almost hung twice and one to be almost hung and then in the same day be actually hung is like quite funny um, and I thought it was really good the way at the end it just faded to black um, and I really enjoyed at the end of every film the way they kind of faded back to the end of the story and there was always like another paragraph that we got to read and again this really served it being on Netflix because we got to pause it whereas if we'd been yeah. in the cinema I'd, I wonder if they'd release it in the cinema if they'd have froze on the book for longer how they would have done it because I'm a fast reader and I got most of it in without pausing but you didn't and I, I couldn't hope, read all of it I hope they produce this book for sale because I want, I want to buy it so much you buy it and then never read it and it would gather dust and we'll give it to a charity yeah, shop but the, even the writing in the book was just lovely yeah it was lovely um, but I, yeah I thought there was a, this was a lot of fun yeah the, this um, was fun I uh, forget the name of the actor but the uh, famous for um, the dweeby dude in office space was playing the bank the oh bank he was clerk. funny and he was great fun coming out with a covered in saucepans, covered in saucepans. And, and again in the book he was illustrated to look like the tin man he had so many saucepans but in reality he'd like three hanging off him as um like his um, his bulletproof vest <laughs> but like there's so many good lines in here the um uh, when james franco's character is asked what what is what his last words are he said that pan covered son of a bitch back at the bank don't exactly fight fair <laughs> <laughs> that was it that was funny um there's there's so many lovely lo- and just the, and again the image of James Franco hanging by a rope as his horse slowly eats oh that was brilliant grass in in in, in a sequential line that's a, that's a, such a, an amazing scenario yeah, amazing. to concoct so he's like being for anyone who didn't watch and who's just listening um he's being hung right so they they put him on the back of his horse and he's he's, he's tied like he's got a noose around a tree and then these like wild Indians come in and chase the the hangman away and then they leave too so he's just stuck there sitting on a horse with a rope around his neck as the horse starts gradually moving away to eat the grass and it was really funny like actually in terms of laugh out loud we might have laughed the most of this one well really I mean it felt like the whole thing really just existed for the punchline yeah which was first time yeah Uh, and it felt like they worked backwards from that a little bit but uh, yeah really 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 fun and a really nice length this one was because the first one was a bit quick and by the end they got a bit too long for me but I really like the length of this it's one it's just like a sketch yeah but the um, the opening frame of this with him standing in front of that bank in the middle of the nowhere is just beautiful yeah that was lovely uh, so the third story is the one with uh, Liam Neeson and the quadriplegic on the road uh, in the travelling stage show oh yeah this one was weird wasn't so it? weird but so again this one made me laugh like, and it was really dark oh this was dark yeah. comedy though um, Liam Neeson I don't know the actor with him he's not an actor I recognise but like it's fun to see Liam Neeson like in a good movie and not in a taken movie and being a really good actor which is what he is um, I think the last movie I saw Liam Neeson in wasn't a taken one actually it was um, remember there was some movie where like a plane was being hijacked and, and it was like him and Julianne Moore and Lupita Nyong I'm not sure how to pronounce her name do you remember that movie we saw? Uh, um 
they were on an airplane. Anyway, off completely by the way. He, I yeah, haven't yeah, seen yeah. Liam Neeson in a good movie. Flight. Yeah. Flight plan. I haven't no? seen it. I don't no, know. that wasn't it. Haven't seen him in a good movie in a very long time. So I was just really pleased to see him. I Non-stop. I don't know. I thought the guy he was acting alongside was brilliant. I thought his like monologues were amazing. He was okay. so intense. I just looked him up, and you're never going to guess who he is. Who? He's a uh, uh, Dudley Dursley from the Harry Potter movies. Oh my god! Yeah. I was thinking he looked kind of familiar, but obviously he's so much skinnier now. He's a, he was outstanding in this. Oh, interesting! Because really I actually thought the special effects were well done. I thought it was really somebody who was a quadriplegic. It's incredible. Um, oh my god, that's so funny! But yeah, they His were. His name great. is Harry Melling. Just shout out. They to were it. great together. I really enjoyed it, and I mean. They, God, there was a weird scene. So he like can't, obviously can't move himself, and like they've no wheelchair. So Liam Neeson carries him on his back when they're walking, and then he goes into a brothel, and the guy just has to sit in the room while Liam Neeson is with the prostitute. It's so gross. They really, they really fleshed. There's so many good moments of comedy. How he just the timing in this. How he just slowly goes over and turns him the other way. Oh, so weird! Right after he got really drunk after. and started singing like Irish songs, which I really enjoyed as well. Because up until that moment, we like Liam Neeson basically hadn't spoken, and the power dynamic seemed to be that the actor, the young guy Dudley, was in control, and Liam Neeson was kind of like his servant. And then as it went on, it kind of flipped, and actually Liam Neeson's calling the shots, which are quite was quite like unexpected to me, and I enjoyed the twist. <laughs> it was dark. The twist I was felt like- really dark, and I couldn't help but laugh because they did it in such a good way that it was all. Yeah, they, it was they completely leave it, letting the audience figure out what happened. Yeah, they leave it to your yeah, imagination. Yeah, completely leave it to your imagination. The, um, but I thought it was interesting how the they didn't share a single line of dialogue. Did you notice that? Yeah, you're right. They <laughs> um, never spoke to each other. No, and um, the other thing that I was trying to think about, like what what all this means. No, I think maybe one one line of dialogue after Liam Neeson stopped singing and he said, "I want to go somewhere to the brothel." So he was more directing it at the to sky. Himself. Yeah. The guy, I mean, he just lived in constant uh, sort of um, begrudging sort of uh, fear of Liam Neeson almost. Or yeah. He was entirely dependent on him. It was horrible. But I think, I think it was almost like, so the guy, uh, <coughs> the the performer, his, he's, he's performing like great works of literature and culture. You know, yeah. there's Cain and Abel from the Bible, the o- Ozymandias... Um, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln's uh, uh, was it Gettys- Is that the Gettysburg Address or something like I don't that? Know. Um, but like <clears throat> all the all this like great classical works throughout history, um, and and we see slowly the audience diminishing and diminishing and diminishing and getting smaller. So I felt like that was probably a commentary on how the <clears throat> the West, the Wild West, and uh, the the emerging America itself sort of eroded. The old ways and culture, the old sort of culture, and they really? got replaced by cheap, like cheap entertainment and parlor tricks. It's almost like the death, like it's literally a chicken that can that can do maths. I mean, the chicken like, thing is so like, funny. It's, it's almost like the way the, the it's uh, Buzzfeed has replaced real journalism or things. It's the it's the dumbing down of society. Almost. I mean, I didn't know if I thought that or just that, like. It was like moving on, and people like people are maybe tired of his act. Like I don't know how, what kind of a radius they but were. But his, his act was literally all the greatest 
works ever written throughout history. He was so intense. That's not, uh, you know, that's not accidental that that's what his act was. Yeah, I just couldn't sit and watch someone who was that intense and ever that long a soliloquy, which they really... What a boring show, yeah, right? Yeah, really boring, but they really showed up. Like, they, such a good montage of him just doing it and, like, you know, he's so intensely, like, he's almost, like, spitting in the audience because he's, like, enunciating so well. Especially because the... Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's what happens when you're podcasting and you walk through a group of teenagers. Especially because the... the uh, the cart that they're traveling on promises that this is the greatest show in the West. I know, yeah, and it's really well. not. But yeah, no, really, I really thoroughly enjoyed this one actually. The, the other, the other thing I really liked about this was the the meticulous setup. You know, um, the, the, the literally the setting, the scene, as, as in like Liam Neeson opening the curtains, lighting each of the four lights, turning them towards this, putting that chair in. You know, it's it's real scene setting but yeah, it was, it was really like what tangible. is this show yeah and we're then, dying to see this and then the curtains pull back and there's this quadriplegic man performing the classics yeah. it's just so yeah. it's the kind of mad un, um, nonsense sort of weirdness you can only get from uh, from the Coen brothers yeah it was really was... A compelling and then I had this funny thought when he was doing Abraham Lincoln and I just thought suddenly thought of Daniel Day-Lewis playing Abraham Lincoln and then I thought okay so Daniel Day-Lewis and Liam Neeson are like probably two of the most I guess successful Irish actors of their generation maybe you'd add in I mean Daniel Day-Lewis is sort of only tangentially Irish really isn't he I'm not sure but anyway all I could think was I wonder if they're friends that's so all you were yeah, thinking about that's what I was thinking that. of for ages and like if they had award ceremonies of like they meet up and have a pint of Guinness or something so I need to do some research <laughs> on that pint of Guinness specifically um, specifically now on to the Tom Waits one yeah I thought this was Superb. I mean, we have to preface this, this by saying we love Tom Waits, so we might have been a bit biased. Love Tom Waits. Yeah. Um, but I saw him in really concert fun. years ago, and it was one of the best uh, experiences I've had in my life. Thanks, Dave, because I could not get it. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed this one. Again, it's just, you know, the dark comedy, the like one man looking for gold. I've never actually watched something kind of visually representing someone gold digging and what that means and like how you ch- test the flex of gold. Prospecting, I think they call it. It was so interesting. I haven't read it, but I've never seen it. So I find that, like, watching his... The task of him looking for the the gold, and he's going slightly mad. Like, well, you think watching it, like, he's not going to find any gold, or if he does, like, something bad's going to happen to him. And then there's that amazing scene where he's down the hole, and someone shoots him. <laughs> and we both were, like, not... Oh. Like, it wasn't unexpected. It was so beautifully yeah, done. The, so the, the the way the, the the sort of confidence and the slowness around the way the way they they produce this, the way we linger on that on the man who shoots him as he slowly rolls a cigarette, slowly lights it, and the whole time we're seeing Tom Waits' body with the blood spooling, and it, it's so uh, methodical and slow. And then when the you know for that eventual punchline, which was just excellent, and you're really rooting for him by this stage because you've watched oh, him. Oh, you feel so bad for him like and he's you know old guy like he's working really hard and this young guy lets him do all the labor and then just comes in and shoots him and he finds the gold but really this one was all about the sort of the relationship with like humanity and nature right i feel like well it was like a david attenborough intro and end point where it was like just animals and that he disturbed and they're waiting for him to leave their patch yeah the deer disappears and then comes back at the end um because he and then he basically comes in, destroys the place, um, you know, literally looking for something that only has value because humanity has ascribed it value. Yeah. Um, completely destroys the place. Like the deer is just standing 
next to all these holes. I know. And yet I was so end. rooting for him. I just said, oh, let him get the gold and get out of there. I know, but actually it's like, it's no, he came in, destroyed this beautiful scenery, um, trying to steal from nature, essentially. Yeah. Um, and then another man came in and shot him in the back. So really, it's like, it's a really cynical look at humanity in that we'll, we'll just take and destroy yeah. each other. And it was funny. And I like, there's such silly scenes of like, Tom Waits, who like is in a 60s ride and he's like scaling trees like stories high and like stealing eggs from an owl's nest and like that stuff was just like very joyous to me I just find that fun and I was so happy to hear him singing so oh, yeah I think so I just yeah I loved this one the, the, the music and the, the, there's a lot of great music throughout this but that, that one it was a particular sort of a the melody reminded me of Mary Poppins yeah, there was a, when when Quite the happy lot. moments were happening. But, Mother but, McCree is the song he's singing. Oh yeah, I love that one. But uh, I, I have to say, on a side note, because I was hoping that this that this movie would have like the music sides of an Inside Leon Davis or an Oprah that were art though. It doesn't. There's some nice use of music in in these movies, but it's not for a movie that has the word ballad in it. It's yeah, it's not, not sort of it's not core. A it's not at the core of no. it. You know, nice. part, there are some musical parts, but uh, yeah, not at the core. But I could just watch Tom Waits talking to himself for, for yeah, hours no, because he's really got fun. such a great voice and um he's like almost unrecognizable dave is saying he looks like will ferrell he just he, he looked like will ferrell yeah, so much like a, like will ferrell in in zoolander with yeah, a beard that's what he looked like um but i loved i loved his sort of relationship with you know he's constantly talking to the to the gold pocket he's like hello mr pocket yeah I mean, i'll see you tomorrow i, like mr. I love pocket. tom waits but like he's not a very good actor like you can he, just that's he, just how Tom Waits would probably interact with anyone. Well, hang on. Okay, he's not. I mean, he's not the greatest actor, but I think he's, he's got very convincing. Presence. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, really he's good. got total presence. I mean, he fits this role. I'm sure they probably wrote it for him. Um, right onto, and this was just the moment. This is the fourth one where I was just about to say, "This is shit. I'm turning it off. There's no women in this one." And then the next scene, we immediately see two women. Um, so Zoe Kassan is really the star, to, the star of this one. Well, um, but the, this is a little bit what annoyed me. She wasn't even the star. There was oh, two other men who were the stars. Her, it's her story. Yeah, mostly. but she's not the star the way Tom Waits is the star of his one or James Franco is the star of his one. You know what I mean? Um, she is. She doesn't have like the majority of screen time in this in this film. But aside from that, again, I found this one really compelling, and this was the first like quite long one. Um, which I really enjoyed because I saw that I, when we paused it I saw the synopsis said that there was six films and at this point there was like an, an hour and 20 minutes left so I suddenly realised oh these two are going to be quite long and this one felt like like it was almost like a full movie wasn't it I know it wouldn't be as long as a full movie but it was yeah. really fleshed out and it was a really interesting plot and really I found took it its time to really build time. up the relationship between these two yeah. and, and very effectively I thought very effectively I, mean, I was shipping them yeah, we're shipping for them. And uh, <laughs> basically, like, she's riding in a, this wagon with her brother, kind of with a vague promise at the end of it she can get married to someone, and then her brother dies. And it's, like, really scary to be a woman then because her fortune is completely tied in with her brother or this maybe potential man who's going to marry her. But while, she, while, this cab, while this ride is happening, she's, like, in limbo because she can't find her brother's money and... Yeah, it's just really interesting. I just love the setting as well of all the cabins. The wagon and, train. Yeah, the wagon train and like how they kind of mention, you know, there's like Indians around, but they don't attack wagons. And so there was like threatening Indians in two of the six of these, which I guess is like another trope of a Western. But, um, I, but I will say that, you know, not to, not to hammer home uh, this point, but <coughs> this movie just treats um, 
the Native Americans like old school westerns. It do. does. You yeah. don't get and any. Other. You don't get any dimensionalization no. here. They are literally just other and the enemy. It's, ca- it's cowboys and Indians. It was cowboys and but Indians. But that's yeah. my point. That's why I think, and I'm not hundred percent sure what their intentions are, but I feel like this is playing with. It's very entrenched in the tropes of western yeah, cinema it it's, it's a love letter to that stuff it would have been interesting if they flipped it a bit though and gave us a story which I thought they might have done from the like, perspective of a Native American but they didn't but and I guess this very is very much the enemy but that's not you know the Coen brothers aren't making a western with a modern eye which and, and those things exist very much so this is this is really like a lot of their stuff is, is like it's a love letter to Western cinema, isn't it? With their own quirky spin on it. Yeah, but you can you can be a love letter <coughs> to Western cinema and not like embrace one hundred percent of the tropes. Yeah, yeah. Fine. But um, I but I I actually really enjoyed the stuff they did with the like the band of Indians in this as well. And God, the like the relationship they built up between the main character, the woman, and the young who looked exactly like Clint Eastwood, um, character of the the cowboy. It was lovely, and he felt. I actually was like. I should have been suckered in by it. I was like, oh, they're going to have such a happy marriage. They seem really well suited. He brings out the best in her. Even though the clue, so was, on the, the clue was on the illustration in the book, which said Mr. Arthur had no idea what he was going to tell. You see, I forgot the illustration because we're coming into like the fifth one. I kind of stopped paying as much attention to the illustrations as I had at the start. I mean, you just know it's going to happen. Oh, badly, I didn't. I I, because the Tom Waits one right before it ended really nicely. Well, nicely in the sense that he got the money. Oh, yeah. I thought this one was going to have a happy ending and I was so pleased about it. Um, and then I was so upset when, like, basically the, the older guy advises her, you know, if you think I'm going to be captured by an Indian, you need to shoot yourself in the head. And then... And then he has a little tussle, tussle with an Indian that he wins, and quite easily, and he walks back over, and she's got a hole in her forehead. Oh, that, and you just know it's coming. Oh, it's I didn't. Awful. I didn't see it coming. The, um, I mean, the wor- it kind of felt a little Romeo and Juliet in a way, didn't, didn't it? What, I mean, that they were doomed to fall? No, well, I didn't that, see that I mean, at all. No, I mean the no, no, the, just the just the very the ending. I mean the nature of the, that's spoiler spoilers for Romeo and Juliet. But Dave, like, you just ruined. We're going to get complaints about uh, this. <laughs> that's. That's a, you know, mistaken suicide as well, wasn't it? Like, yeah, I was. She, sad. he thought she. I forget who saw who first, but one of them thinks that the other one is dead, so kills themselves. Yeah. except the she se- wasn't with the old guy. <coughs> no, but yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the point is, it was, you know, oh, maybe you should have hang on a few seconds longer before killing. Yeah, I know, but he said to her, like, if you like, you know, do it. Um, and I, there was a bit in this that I really liked, and and it it made the Clint Eastwood guy like particularly attractive, in that. He says, look, she owes this money. And he says, if you accept my proposal, like I'll pay out the debt you owe. And then a couple of scenes later, he comes back to her and says, I don't want you to think that you have to marry me because of the debt. I will help you sort the debt out either way. And I thought that was a, really spoke to his character um, in, in that time really and place. It was really noble. And it was really nice. And she said, well, actually, I'd like to marry you anyway or whatever. And it was so sweet. And anyway, but I'm really annoyed at them for giving me the happy ending in the one before and making me falsely. <laughs> yeah. They played it very well. But again, this one this one felt like uh, your sort of your old uh, sweeping romance, like Gone with the Wind type thing, didn't it? It felt like those characters were very much... Everyone spoke very politely, and she was quite. She's quite the typical sort of um, meek female character who can't well, I guess uh, make her own people... mind up, right? I mean, there's certainly. If you're, no, if you're I don't gonna... think she didn't make her. I thought she made her mind up quite easily. 
I think it was old fashioned in that they only spoke their like their surnames and they didn't speak their given names until they were like about you know talking about getting married. But I think it would have been normal for men and women to be that formal back then. And like, you know, if she had been travelling under the care of her brother or whatever, it'd be unusual enough for a young woman with with no money to be travelling on her own, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I th- I really liked this one as well. And then on to the final one, which was the dud for me. Uh, yeah, it do- it, I mean, it doesn't quite. Uh, come together no I think um, it started out really well though and it's, it's really a, funny this yeah. one's, there's some great um, you know it's classic it's almost like a play you've got five people in a in an enclosed space and this carriage travelling together and like a and really the, good cast of people you've read um, so I can't remember which one she is but she's a really famous actress she's either Cagney or Lacey in the original TV series yeah. and she also is in Judging Amy um, but she's brilliant and we had Brendan Gleeson who's brilliant and then the other actors who, like, you'd recognise, but you don't quite know their names. So you have the sort of, uh, you know, the rough and ready trapper who lives in the wild. Yeah. Who, I mean, all the stuff with him was just hilarious. Yeah, it was really funny. Uh, um, Brendan Gleeson singing a beautiful song. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of funny beats in this, yeah. but it's also got a sort of horror undertone, I thought. Yeah, they're all on this carriage and they don't, they don't appear to know where they're going. And very early on, Dave said, I think they're travelling to the afterlife. And I was like, no, that would be really lame. I don't think that's what's happening. And then by the end... That's almost certainly what's happening. I guess, yeah, I mean, they, as they went to the hotel, the there's a staircase leading up to a giant beam of light. But the, the and two of them are carrying a corpse, though, and I think that's what threw me. Because if they're going to the afterlife, why is one a corpse and the others are, like, walking and talking? Yeah, but there's the whole... Um, so the, the sort of English guy with the moustache... Um, he was brilliant. Is, as his final monologue is him saying part of our job is you know staring people at uh, sta- uh, guiding people into the next he literally says we're guiding people into the next stage or something like that and he says I get a sort of curiosity from staring staring at them as they try to figure it all out and he's literally staring at each three of them yeah during, they're, they're on the way to to the afterlife and they're trying to figure it out and also neither of them wanted to get off the carriage yeah, none um, of them the coachman doesn't stop. I mean, I I I kind of feel like that's the only way to read this. The main bit I really enjoyed was when the woman was like being really pious and talking about how fantastic her, you know, how much her and her husband loves husband love each other, despite the fact that they haven't seen each other in three years and how she lived with their daughter. And the French guy just completely interrupts <laughs> and is like, "You're a burden to your daughter. Your husband doesn't love you." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just really funny. Um, so I really enjoyed all that and like the way each actor got like their own kind of key moment, including I really enjoyed the English guy just like singing at the start when they're all napping. But yeah, the end. Is, <laughs> yeah, so the end sorry if I woke me, you. Yeah, sorry if I woke you. But the end left me cold, and I just thought, oh, this is really boring now. And like, I thought it was a really flat note to finish on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a. Uh, it was a bum note. It was an interesting one. Yeah, it would have been it really good to finish land. on the Tom Waits, but I know obviously they're going with the different durations as they went on. I did like how the lighting slowly changed from day to night throughout the whole thing. Oh yeah, two out of six of them. <coughs> yeah, I mean, no, as in it was fully daylight at the beginning, and then the. the it, it was completely nighttime at the end. Which you again, mean the, you mean the first movie to the last movie? No, no, the, sorry, just within movie. this last movie oh, on okay, the carriage, yeah. they're traveling in daylight, and then when they arrive to the hotel, it's, it's it's black, and it was like the, but the lighting slowly adjusted throughout the course of it. But you know, also throughout a normal day, the lighting adjusts. So I don't know if that's like yeah, but come on, they that shot that in a studio. They're, oh they're, yeah, that last one was a studio. They didn't shoot it on a moving carriage no, at, at five was, p.m. That would have been the cheapest one to make for sure. 
Um, but yeah, so I was a bit, bit of a bum note for me, albeit I still really enjoyed elements of it. And you're right, it just felt like a play, which isn't a criticism. Just the but very was, end was like, huh? It was entertaining. It just yeah. felt like it didn't have a lot of meat on the bun. Yeah. But actually, to be fair, a lot of... There's not, there's not really much meat on any of these bones as such. Like, there's no... Because the characters are kind of a little all archetypes, there's not... There's no real emotional through line here. I think no. the only thing I really felt was um, amused or uh, admiration for the sort of technical stuff, the writing. It's qu- it's quirky and enjoyable and amusing yeah. and one point tragic. But other than that, it's not like no, it's not a great no. sort of huge uh, story. It doesn't have a great thing to say, but it's just it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. And I just thought I, re- I really really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I'm and really glad we watched it. And I, as much as I, as I said, as much as I would have liked to see it in the cinema, I I probably wouldn't have made it to the cinema to see it, given I haven't even made like the big movies at the moment. So I'm really pleased that it was released on Netflix. Yeah, and you know what? It's like the cut there they deliver stuff that you're not you don't at the beginning of this we didn't know what we were going to see yeah and throughout each of those six i couldn't have guessed where any of them were going to end up except you guessed the last one well okay yeah but for the most for the yeah. most part like i wouldn't have guessed oh, there's going to be five people in a carriage and one's a trapper it's like yeah. none of these situations even though they're fe- dealing with very familiar territory they felt really fresh and enjoyable they and did. when so much of Modern cinema is so boring and stale. I just thought this was, yeah, was really, fun. really refreshing. And I would beautiful. like to see the um, the Coen Brothers flex their muscles a bit now, though, next time, and just like, you know, within this movie, you can see hints of loads of their other movies. It would be cool to see something really new from them. I think that you mean would be awesome. you you want to see them sort of escape their own style? Not escape their own style, but just like apply it to a new setting or new types of characters. I'd love to see them do sci-fi. That would be amazing. That would be awesome. Anyway, we better wrap this but up. Yeah, we better wrap this up. Thank you for ages. listening. Um, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast. And please, we would really appreciate it if you gave us a review, particularly a five-star review would be very nice. Um, lots of people listen to our podcast, but we don't have very many reviews. And I know it's because people think it's a lot of faff to do and it's effort. But if you go on to your Apple podcast, it's actually really easy now. They've updated the app and you can just tap five stars. You don't even have to write anything. Um, that would be greatly appreciated. How um, great is the sound of these rustling leaves? I know, it's lovely. Lovely. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter where I'm going to put up a poll about Dave's mansplaining. You can also follow us on Instagram where we had a bit of fun last night when we were watching the movie. Not happy about this mansplaining thing. I'm not happy to be mansplained at. <laughs> Right. Get, please go to Twitter and back me up here, people. On this is this is absolutely outrageous. I've been vilified. You've not been vilified. I have been. You've been woman's playing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all, right. Um, all right. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. You know the story. There are two kinds of people. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky and unlucky. Hale and frail. Upright and sinning. No. Dead or alive. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.